0: Hey guys, Eric Lindeen here. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Genesis 18, last Sunday we covered um, the first uh, 15 or so verses. Uh, and now we're going to dive in on verse 22. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked." Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Again he spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are found there. He answered, For the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are here in this place, that you're the God of returning lost things. Uh, God, that uh, you're the God of new beginnings and and new chapters. And we thank you uh, for the time we've been able to be in this school uh, the last uh, three and a half years, the time we've been in um, five different locations over the last seven years, uh, God, we pray that we just be open and aware to what you are doing in this place. In your name we pray. Amen. You can take a seat. And then if Ethan or my son Josh could run up my uh, clicker, I left it back there. That'd be amazing. Thank you. Uh, so just read that really random Bible passage, right? Uh, thanks, buddy. Awesome sauce. How many, by raising your hands, have ever heard a Sunday morning sermon on this text? Okay, we got, we got like, like, like three or four. Okay, yeah, not many. This is not the top 10 passages you preach on. Um, this is what happens though when you work your way through a book of the Bible, is you come upon some text and you're like, this is weird. This is one of those awkward texts that you don't talk much about. This and then what happens in the next chapter this is one of those texts that, when I was a teenager, and I started working uh, at age 14 at a grocery store, uh, bag groceries for three years. Then I started working in the mall at a clothing store, and I, that was my first time really interacting with a lot of teenagers who didn't know uh, Jesus. And they would bring up stories like this, like, "You really worship the God who would destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and what, what's that all about?" And And I was just like, I don't really know. And it's one of those awkward texts. And so why is this in here? And what is its relevance to us today? That's what we're going to explore this morning. And the question I want us to ask is, can people make a difference in the world? Can we actually make a difference? Or is everything already preordained and preset And we're just kind of following along with the way God has already ordained everything to go. Do we have free will and choice? That's what we're going to be exploring today. I think if you look at the lives of people who you would say, man, they changed the world. Martin Luther, Mother Teresa, uh, Billy Graham. we See these big moments, but also we look at their lives as a lot of slow, faithful plotting. plodding, p-l-o-d-d-i-n-g, plodding. And one of my favorite Christian writers, Eugene Peterson, when he talks about discipleship and the way of Jesus, he says, "Really, it's a long obedience in the same direction." And I, I love that. That we have these moments of, of wondering, can we make a big difference in the world? Last week we talked about that, like recapture your imagination start dreaming again and that's good we, we want to dream but what could be but also the reality is so much of changing the world is just being faithful day after day after day after day after day so can we change the world can we make any difference what is up with these awkward Bible passages. Let's explore that today. Uh, so we're going to start at verse 16 today. So if you remember last week, it was a great day, Father Abraham. Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus, shows up with a couple angel buddies, and Abraham shows hospitality and fellowship to them, cooks a great meal, some fresh ribs, some cheese curds, fresh baked bread. Uh, it's a great day. And he says, is anything too hard for the Lord? You still We'll have a son next year, even though you're about 100 years old and your wife's 90. So they've had this great conversation, this great dinner. They stand up to go, and now Abraham's kind of walking them out. They're kind of doing the, the Minnesota goodbye, right? It's that slow, you're walking them out, you slap your hands. Well, it's about that time, right? That's what they're doing right now, right? So then the men, these are the angels, they set out from there, and they look down towards Sodom. That's, that's this town we've been talking about that Lot moved there. Uh, Abraham's worthless nephew Lot, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice So the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. We're going to pause here real quick. Um, Those words righteousness and justice can be kind of churchy words. Like what do you mean here? It's easy just to, to blow right past this. But I want to camp out real quick on those two words. Righteousness really is right thinking and right beliefs. And in the Christian tradition we call that orthodoxy. It's being a right relationship with God and having the right kind of beliefs and thoughts towards God. Justice really is what we call in the Christian tradition orthopraxy. It's right actions. Now, oftentimes in churches or Christian different traditions, they will emphasize one or the other. It's saying, no, it's all about a personal relationship with Jesus. It's just about you and God. Come forward to the altar. Give your life to him. And as long as you have faith in him, nothing else matters. Then there are some churches that focus in traditions on the justice aspect. They really, uh, the beliefs, you know, we don't really know. But, you know, what really matters is doing things for God. You know, loving the poor, uh, feeding the hungry, caring for the widows, And the orphans and the foreigners. God's heart is both for righteousness and justice, amen? It's orthodoxy, right beliefs about God and His word, as well as orthopraxy, doing the right things. Now, doing the right things doesn't change our relationship with God, but it's an outflow of having the right thoughts and beliefs towards God. So both are important. And we see churches and Christian traditions get in trouble when they overemphasize one over the other. They're, they're two hands uh, that we need both working together. And so this is one thing just key for us as a church. We want to continue to have right beliefs about God, about his word, uh, learning and growing. But it can't just be a vertical thing. It's also a horizontal justice aspect of making a difference in the world, that we're here for good. So we need both. Amen? Let's go on. Then the Lord said, yeah, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know. So, there's a lot of questions about exactly what was the great sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. I'll let you explore that in your community groups. But basically, there has been some great wickedness going on in this city. And what we see is that Jesus hears when there are oppressed people, when bad things are going on, and those cries have reached his ear, that he is not distant to that. He is aware, and and he's going to now say, I'm going to explore and see what is really going on. So the men, these are the two angels, turned from there and went towards Sodom, But Abraham still stood before the Lord. So we're going to see this next week. But these two angels are going to go down to investigate for themselves the condition of this city. See, in the Old Testament, you had to have at least two witnesses in the case of any kind of capital punishment or anything like that. Side note, that's just a good principle in general. That um, if anyone accuses someone of something, there should be a second witness to corroborate that. Um, And so that's why God is sending two angels down to explore, hey, what really is going on here? Excuse me. Then Abraham drew near to Jesus and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? He's like, all right, you said you're going to destroy these cities, but there's some good people there. So what are you going to do? Are you you going to wipe them away? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare for the 50 righteous who are in it? All right, so Abraham's going to kind of push back against God right here. He's like, all right, I get it. You're going to kill all the sinners, but how are you going to smoke them while— and, you know, not take out the righteous ones? Like, that doesn't seem fair, God, so what what are you going to do? And he's like, well, he's thinking there's got to be at least 50 righteous people in this city, right? He says, far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked— So that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it that from you shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just. And the Lord said, "If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I'll spare the whole place for their sake." You can kind of Abraham's like thinking he's like, "Okay, I pushed it once. Let me let me see." Abraham answered and said, "Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I whom but dust and ashes." He gets it. He's like, "I'm nothing compared to God. I'm just dust and ashes." But, you know, I'm going to stand in the gap here. I'm going, to, I'm going to push it a little bit. He's like, got to kind of do some reverse auctioneering. He's like, hey, do I hear 50? Oh, 45, do you hear 45? Like, if I can find 20 rednecks with the Bible, will you spare the city? That's what he's thinking. And the Lord said, suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? God knew some of us struggle with math. And so he says, and he said, I will not destroy it. Find 45 there. So he's work his way down. Again, he spoke to him and said, suppose only 40 are found there. And God answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. And then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. I picture maybe Abraham's like, ah, I can sense I'm kind of pushing it here, all right? Suppose only 30 are found there. And he answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. So he's working on 50, 45, 40. 30, 20. And God answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. And then he said, hold oh, let not that the Lord be angry. Maybe I don't see something on Jesus' face or just sensing it in himself. <clears throat> and I will speak again but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. So what, what's kind of Abraham thinking in the theory? He's like, how much can I push it, right? All right, my worthless nephew Lot's there. Uh, he He knows God. And he's married, so that's two. He's got two daughters, that's four. They're married. They're son-in-laws, you know, that's six. All right, that's six. You know, they've got to have, you know, neighbors on each side of them. You know, maybe they've influenced each neighbor. Seven, eight, nine, ten. All right, ten. We're probably safe. Probably good at ten. So he's like, suppose ten are found there. And Jesus answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. Now, Here's the question. What happened right here? Was Jesus waiting for him to keep going? We don't know. And the Lord went his way. And when he had finished speaking to Abraham, Abraham returned to his place. So, weird story, right? Right? Why do we just spend some time studying this? What's really going on in this story? If you bear some speculation here, I believe God wanted him to keep lowering the number until just one righteous person. God, will you spare the city for just one righteous person? But see, the problem is, Here's what Paul writes in Romans 3.10. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. We jumped down a little bit through 21. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given, how? Through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So there is no one who's righteous on our own. So how can we become righteous? Paul says it's given only through faith in Jesus Christ. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace, the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. See, what was needed is one righteous person to stand in the gap, to be that mediator, to take the brunt of the judgment of God. Those people were wicked and evil. They deserved punishment. And so, Jesus comes, and here's how First Timothy, Paul writes it this way, there's one God and there's one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. See, we need a mediator because all have fallen short. Abraham really is trying to say, you know, are there righteous and unrighteous people? At the end of the day, we're all unrighteous. Like, it's easy for us to look at whatever the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah, whatever the sins of those we see in the world, and try to put things into two different categories the righteous and the unrighteous. But the Bible tells us we're just fooling ourselves. See, we're all unrighteous. We all deserve judgment on us. We've all messed up. We all bear the brunt of our guilt and our shame and our sin. And what Sodom and Gomorrah needed was a mediator, someone to bear the brunt of that. And there was no one until Jesus came. We celebrated communion this morning. It's a reminder that this righteous man, who's also God, did what no one else could do, was to step in our place and bear the brunt of the judgment that we deserve to have, and that is a beautiful, amazing thing. But now, as we receive that gift and as communion reminds us, we don't just stop there. Now, Jesus says, I'm calling you to be my body and to do the same thing. So how does that work? Well, if you're taking notes, God has chosen to work through people. Not for salvation, but in how he interacts with this world. Occasionally, God will miraculously step in and a wedding ring will pop up. But there still needs to be people to find that wedding ring to see it, and to bring the restoration of that. And so God sent Jesus, but now God needed Jesus to work through. He needed people, but now we are Jesus' people that he works through. The Bible shares many accounts where God waited to act till someone petitioned him in prayer. I still think God wanted Abraham to go down to just one. And see, God has devised prayer as a means of enlisting us as participants in the work that he has ordained. This is a mystery that we will never fully comprehend. But in some way, our prayers actually affect things. They actually matter. That we can move the heart of God by our prayers. When the disciples asked Jesus, how should, then should we pray, he teaches the Lord's prayer, But then, in order to encourage them to keep praying and not lose heart, he tells these crazy stories about a woman who needed justice, and she keeps going to this unrighteous judge again and again and again. He's like, finally, get off my case. I'm going to give her justice. And the disciples are like, wait, what? Are you saying God's like the unrighteous judge? He's like, no. But keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. The the, the persistent, consistent widow, in some mysterious way, God has chosen to oftentimes wait to act to partner with people, and we get to be his participants in the work that he has ordained as part of his divine sovereign lordship overall. How does that work with free will and God being in control? Here's the thing. We don't really know. It's a mystery, and I think that's beautiful. But we are invited to participate, and the fancy word for this concept is intercession, Webster defines intercession as to go or pass between, to act between parties with a view to reconcile those who differ or contend, to interpose, one of my favorite hymns, uses that word, to mediate. It's to go between. Abraham was interceding for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. The problem is he didn't go far enough. And now we've been invited by God to go in between and to intercede for people. Intercession happens oftentimes in courts as lawyers step in for people or in business managers as secretaries or other associates go between. It involves delegation, authority, representation. We've been journeying through Genesis, right? Genesis chapter 3. God's first intercessor, his first mediator, is Adam. Adam and Eve. They're supposed to be his divine representatives here on earth, but they fail horribly. And then God picks a new Adam— Abraham, that his family now will be the that, that new mediators. i are going to bless the world through you so that everyone will be blessed. And they mess up. So God needs to send a new Adam, a new Abraham. And that's Jesus. And Jesus does it perfectly. And he is the perfect mediator, the perfect intercessor for us. Jesus showed us what God is like. That If we want to know what God is like, just look at Jesus. He's the perfect representative of who God is to us here on earth. But the beautiful thing is it goes both ways. That Jesus also represents people to God. And so what's so amazing is that when we come to Christ, we are justified, declared, righteous, And we have what's called imputed righteousness to us. Fancy way of saying we get Jesus' resume. That when God looks at us, we don't come into prayer in his throne room based on what we have done. It's we show up and there's God the Father on his throne and in all his majesty surrounded by all the spiritual creatures and it's amazing and wonderful, and we're like, man, what are we doing here in the presence of an almighty, perfect, holy God? And Jesus, our big brother, says, hey, come on, come with me. And, and he ushers us into the throne room of the Father, and he says, hey, Father, remember, remember Eric right here? He's not coming on his own merits, but because of what I did with the cross. And the Father's like, of course I remember. Come boldly, my son, and ask Present your request. And intercession is this fancy way of somehow I don't get it, but I'm praying for Aaron and I'm coming in and I'm bringing Aaron with me, not on my own merits, but because of Jesus before God. And I'm bringing him with me. And so when you're praying for someone, what I want you to be thinking is that picture. You're not just praying some little weak prayers. You're coming with your big brother, Jesus. Based on his resume, his courage, his grace, his strength, all the things that Jesus has done. He says, come with me. The Father says, boldly approach. And those people you're praying for, you're bringing them with you as well. So I've got Jesus on one side, I've got Aaron I'm praying for on my other side, and we're coming boldly before the throne of God. That's what intercession is. See, Jesus needs humans here on earth To represent him in the same way God needed Jesus to be the God man to represent him here on earth. Jesus says it this way in John chapter twenty, verse twenty-one. Jesus said, As the Father has sent me, I also send you. If you are a follower of Jesus, then God has sent you out as his representative to intercede for people. We talked about this last week. If we have the audacity to ask, God has the ability to respond, but we have to have the audacity to ask. God is waiting for people to have the boldness to ask, to pray. And when we are bold, when we are persistent in some way, it moves the heart of God. And we get to partner with God in that. God says it this way in Isaiah I looked for someone. Who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land? I searched for someone to stand in the gap, in the wall, so I wouldn't have to destroy the land, but I found no one. It could be that you are that someone that's gonna stand in the gap for another person. I shared this news online, and I've gotten many questions about it, but um, it, it, we're in this season of just going with the Spirit and asking and, and praying and open-handed. And a couple of months ago, great couple, I think they're watching online from their hotel room in Chicago because they're on the way to Israel. Craig and Molly Sanborn came to our church, and uh, I went to high school with Molly, played soccer and wrestling with, with Molly's older brother, Andy. And they, they visited, and Craig was transitioning out of being a high school youth pastor at Plymouth Covenant Church for eight years. But he took a job with our denomination as kind of the district youth director, uh, helping coach and mentor and pastor all the youth pastors of our 200 churches in Minnesota and Iowa. And because of that, leaving the covenant tradition for Converge, kind of undercover Baptists, uh, he had to find a Converge church. So they visited us, a bunch of other Converge churches. I thought he's probably going to pick one of the bigger, fancier churches. Uh, but no, God led him here. And so they're part of our Thursday night community group. It's awesome. You get to know them. Uh, they do a lot of weekend speaking, so they're gone a lot of weekends, but faithfully a part of our Thursday night uh, community group. But he's shared with me, Craig, like it was hard because he had to leave his youth group. He was part of it for eight years in August, and, uh, and they've struggled to find a new high school pastor. And so they've had different people speaking, but it's been, it's been tough on those uh, 70, 100 uh, high school kids on Wednesday nights. And through crazy just kind of praying meeting and uh, meeting the lead pastor of Plymouth Covenant Church, Danny, great guy. Uh, he just said, hey, I know you're busy. You got a lot on your plate. Um, is there any way you could come in on just Wednesday nights, like 5 to 9 p.m. And just be a consistent voice in the life of these high school kids and just teach and just uh, do some mentoring and discipleship? And I was like, yeah, I could totally do that. Uh, just follow in the Holy Spirit. And so last Wednesday was my first time getting to come in and just speak to these high school students. And uh, it's cool getting to know these high school kids and getting to kind of serve as the bridge between Craig, who's part of our church now, and the next youth pastor. I've told I'm i not interested. I'm just here to serve as interim. I love my church. But there's a group of high school boys Who've gone through some stuff and have given into addiction, and they're now out at the uh, the teen version of Minnesota Adult Teen Challenge on Buffalo, uh, the Lakeview um, Lakeside uh, Rehabilitation Clinic, and if uh, the high school boys earn enough like good behavior points, they can come to this youth group. And at Wednesday night, uh, I just shared some of my story as a youth pastor. Uh, I shared my cringiest moment as a youth pastor when I wrecked three minivans at, you know, one bathroom stop, including my mother-in-law's. Uh, one of my high points of baptizing some boys that I invested four years into. Uh, one of my low points when one of our student leaders chose to have an abortion uh, the morning before youth group. I didn't find out about it afterwards. Uh, I shared about, in Colorado, going through... Infertility and depression and anxiety. And having the scary thought of it'd be easier just to end it all. Uh, and how I lost hope and then found hope again. And, and how I got to invest in these high school boys without dads. And the cool thing was, uh, hearing from their sponsor who drove them out there, just that message resonated with those boys. Because many of them from fatherless homes. Many of them struggle with the thought of suicide, mess up their lives. And this idea of standing in the gap, it's putting on the whole armor of God. And standing in the gap when all the forces of evil and sin and hell and the world wants to come against those people and to say, I'll stand in the gap for now. I'll pray. I'll love. I'll serve in whatever way. So for this season, for me, that's what that looks like. See, standing in the gap is a form of intercessory prayer where our prayers bridge the gap between God and people who are cut off from God's helping presence. When we stand in the gap in prayer, we pray for God's help, mercy, intervention, and forgiveness on the behalf of individuals, groups, of people, or nations. When we pray for people, it's not just a nice platitude letting them know we're thinking of them or a pat on the back to cheer them on. When we tell someone we're praying for them, we agree to put on God's armor and head to the front lines of battle on their behalf. See, many ancient shields back then would have hooks on their shields. And a warrior could easily be surrounded and taken out. But what would happen is these soldiers would come together and their shields would interlock. And they'd form this like phalanx, the Romans would do it, of protection and covering as they stood shoulder to shoulder, side by side, saying we're not going to let the enemy's arrows get to us. We're going to stand in the gap and push back the enemy. Church, that's what we've been called to do. Is that we all put on the armor of God. We grab our shields of faith, not by ourselves, but we link arms. Our shields link together and we form a wall. Now, there are people in our lives, teenagers, kids, who are vulnerable, who are helpless. They need us to stand in the gap, amen? There are people in our city, in our state. and God is asking who will stand in the gap. Mosaic, we need to say, we will stand in the gap, amen? Would you stand with me? We're gonna do something. If you're comfortable, please just go with me on this. <laughs> what I want you to do Yeah, I think we can do it. I want you all to come down here if you're comfortable. And what I want you to do is link arms, arm in arm. I know, getting out of your chair, it's hard. And if we can't all fit, then let's do a second row and we'll link arms. Put your hands, arms, arm in arm, there you go. There you go. Remember Red Rover, Red Rover, send someone on over. That's what it's like. I think that game's illegal now. (laughs) True, true story. Do what you can. There you go, there you go. Pivot. Come up on stage if if you need to. (laughs) Worship, man. We got some space down here. We got some space down here. I love it, I love it. (laughs) Who's going to stand in the gap? Who's going to stand in the gap? Eric, there you go. I love it. Baby mamas, we love you guys. We see you. Your arms are full. We get it. No worries. Mosaic, this is a picture of the church, right? Arm in arm. Linked together. Our shields interlocking. Just for ourselves? No. Because there are vulnerable, hurting people that we need to look out for. And there's an enemy That wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And we put on our armor, we pray, we stand in the gap. And this is not the end, right? This is just the next chapter that we are praying. God, use us as intercessors for our city, for our neighborhoods, for our people. And God asks us to boldly participate with Him. Amen? I'm gonna pray. God, I thank you. That your son, Jesus, is the one righteous mediator. And through him, we receive righteousness and forgiveness. And now you ask us to be your mediators, your intercessors here on earth. So God, let us not lose sight of that, that picture. That we are linked arm in arms, our shields linked side by side. God, we will stand in the gap. God, we will intercede for this nation, for this state, for this city, for our neighborhoods, for our families. God, every one of us knows people who are dying and going to hell without you. So we are praying for them. We are standing in the gap while they are still alive because we believe that while they still have breath, there is still hope. So we believe for salvations. We believe and ask for marriages to be restored. We believe and ask for healings, for people to come to know you. And so God, we, we stand firm On this truth, arm in arm. God, let us be filled with your hope and your peace that we don't do this on our own strength, but fueled by your spirit. And so, God, when someone's name comes to mind in this next week, this next month, God, I pray that we would not let that moment pass by, but that we would realize that we are interceding, we are mediating for them. We're gonna bring them into your throne room. We're gonna pray for each other. We're gonna pray for those, God, who don't know you. We're gonna bring their names before Father God. So, give us your strength. Let us operate out of a place of peace. No, we don't have to strive. We have salvation through Jesus. But now, God, we want to be like Jesus to this world around us that is so lost, that is so broken. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Give someone a hug, go back to your seat, and we're going to go out of here singing one more song. That's how you close down a location. Amen? Amen. Amen. Just wait till next week. Just wait till next week. Uh, as the band makes their way up here, we're going to sing one more worship song. I love this song. Again, it just singing to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus. That's what it's all about. Amen. Uh, so the band's going to go in here. Uh, again, next week, um, four o'clock, uh, 4 to 5:15. and then stick around. We're going to do dinner together. Um, our, our rhythm is going to be the first Sunday of the month. We're going to do a potluck each first Sunday of the month. So that should have been today, but it won't be, obviously. So April 2nd, we're going to do a big potluck. Next Sunday, though, to celebrate, we're going to have some kind of food, uh, either pizza or raisin canes or something like that, uh, just so we can hang around. You can see the new building, <coughs> uh, just get to know each other. Um, we really want the uh, Sunday nights to be an opportunity to worship uh, to, to, to see others uh, and then to enjoy some time of fellowship and food. Uh, we're gonna try to have some kind of element of food each night. Um, we'll see if we can pull off dinner each week, but we only wanna do like potlucks like once a month. So that's kind of what, what we're looking at. Um, but I'm excited for this next season. Uh, but may you know you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, that you have the armor of God, and that you can boldly stand in the gap for those that you love. Let's go out of here singing to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Maple Grove podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic Maple Grove. Your generosity allows this message to go out into the world You can be a part of the Mosaic tribe by going to mymosaicchurch.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Grace and peace, my friends.